Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the teacher, when king over Israel in Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun And see, all is vanity and a chasing after wind. The word of the Lord. A gospel reading from the 12th chapter of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ. Uh, Some of you might know that on Friday night, the Mega Millions lottery jackpot, how big was it? It's over a billion dollars. B. Billion. Wow. So for anybody with two dollars and is over 18 years of age, you can buy a ticket and have the exact same odds of getting handed a check for one billion dollars. Well, you can dream anyway, can't you? Can you ever just even imagine what you would do? Nobody here has been like traveling through Illinois in the last few days, right? It doesn't matter how hard you worked or who you know, it's the same game of random chance. What would you do with a billion or, you know, 500 million after the lump sum and taxes and all that's taken out? Well, what advice would Jesus give to someone if they were looking to lavishly spend Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, sorry to burst your bubble, but Jesus says this. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If we think a large lottery victory is going to bring happiness and self-satisfaction, Jesus would suggest to think a little harder. And he gives us a story, a parable, in which it's a story about more than just the money. It's a story about what the money can do to us. He uses this example about a gentleman whose biggest issue isn't his stuff, it's his hoarding. It's his hoarding of assets. It's his desire to store up everything he has, in turn, which will hurt his neighbors. And in the process, only bring about gain for himself. It's okay for us to have possessions, money, assets. But the question at hand is, how do we use them? How do we share them? How do we spend Because how we do all of those things is actually a reflection of our Christian identity. In the last few years, I don't think I have to make us work too hard to think about examples of times where this has been a bit of a problem. Toilet paper, anyone? Bread on the bread shelves? Baby formula? Anytime that there was a hint of supply chain problems, the shelves would empty. It was strange. It's not something that we've seen very often in our country. Now, if you're reading today's passage in your Bible and you have your, your Bible in front of you, you notice that sometimes there are sections where it's kind of chunked out and then there's a little heading like, this is what this story is going to be about. For example, the obvious title of today's story is the parable of the rich fool because God calls him a fool in the story. And it's interesting how sometimes these stories get broken out and it's usually about 10, 12 verses. And then maybe the next thing is a continuation of it, but oftentimes you're going to see stories in the Bible where there's this story and then this story and this story. And there might be some connection, but it's not always obvious. Today's reading is one of those times where it seems like there's a clear break, but I I venture to guess that the very next story that Jesus talks about is directly related to answering what he just told about in his parable. You see, in Luke chapter 12, the next story is called Do Not Worry. There it is. And Jesus says, therefore. He clearly is referencing what he has just said. Otherwise, what is the therefore, therefore? You know, oh, I know. Blame my dad for that one, okay? Oh, he's going to hear about this too. All right. What's the therefore, therefore? Because it actually references what just has happened. These stories of, of, these treasures and and storing treasures up for themselves and not being rich towards God. Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Because worrying, it's not going to add an hour to our lives. Worrying isn't going to make us financially wealthy. Worrying isn't going to make us spiritually rich either. And as Jesus would say, rich towards God. Worry keeps us from thinking that we have enough. Worry makes us hoard things. Worry makes us store things and not share things. Worry keeps us from trusting what God is up to and tempts us instead into selfish decisions. Lynn Twist wrote a book called The Soul of Money, just a great helpful guide to just think and rethink about money and and how money plays a role in our lives. 
And she told a lot of stories and anecdotes in this book. And one of those anecdotes was about her life early in her career as a fundraiser. And she had this one particular example where she was working for her organization called The Hunger Project. She had a meeting lined up with the CEO of a huge food company based out of Chicago. And this company had just suffered a, a horrible like, PR nightmare. And they were just trying to put out the fire. And the company was trying to figure out, what do we do next? And how do we spin our PR image for the rest of, the, for the rest of our clients, the people who are going to be uh, consuming our goods? And they said, we have a great idea. We are a food company. We're going to support the Hunger Project. And so we're going to give a donation to the Hunger Project that will help our image. And so she was invited to come to this meeting in Chicago. She was quickly ushered into the CEO's office, and she could tell that he was on a bit of a time crunch, barely made eye contact with her, just kind of sat and listened as she gave her impassioned plea on why this company needed to give to the Hunger Project. And when she was done, the CEO just kind of sat there, opened up his desk, took out a sheet of paper, and handed it to her. And she received it and looked at it, and it was a check for $50,000. Now, this was a long time ago. You think of inflation. This would have been the equivalent of a lot more than $50,000. And she looked at it, and something started to happen in her. She knew she had to take the check, but she also realized that he was ready to move on to the next thing. So she stuck it in her briefcase, and she left because she had to hop on a plane to get to New York. She had another presentation to give that night. She didn't think about it for the rest of the day, but that night she made a presentation in a church basement in Harlem, and she gave the exact same pitch, and she probably only raised about 500 bucks. But everyone, everyone in the room that day bought into the mission that she was selling. They were willing to do whatever it took to be able to support the cause. And she, she told the story of Gertrude. Gertrude came up and gave Twist $50 and a big hug. And she said, money is like water. For some folks, it rushes through life like a raging river. But for me, money comes through my life like a little trickle. But I want to pass it on in a way that does the most good for the most folks. This left, quite the, remark, this left uh, quite the impression on Lynn Twist. The next morning, she got home. She opened her briefcase and she looked at that check for $50,000 again. And she wrote a letter. And she mailed it back to him. And in the letter, she said, thank you. But I think your organization should choose a different place a different place that you are committed to. Even though her own livelihood depended on this donation, she gave the money back because she could tell that this company's soul was not committed to the cause. Years later, that CEO retired, and he reached out to Lynn Twist again. In his retirement, he had, he had received a very significant exit pass, uh, package for his work. And this time, he wrote her a letter. He said, you know, that interaction between the two of us many years ago, it stuck with him. And he was particularly shocked by her response. He said that her returning that money 
and explaining it in the letter, it stood out to him as this moment when all the rules of corporate America were thrown out the window. And he was shocked by it. And so he wrote now that this had caused him to think. And he did want to make a difference now. He did want to help to the cause of ending world hunger. So this time he included a check from his own pocket. Many, many, many times in excess of that original $50,000. What Lynn Twist wrote was she realized that the power of money when filled with purpose, integrity, and aligned with the heart and soul, it can do so many things. She said, no matter how much or how little money you have flowing through your life, when you direct that flow with soulful pur purpose, you feel wealthy, you feel vibrant, you feel alive. And when you use your money in a way that represents you, not just as a response to the market economy, but also as an expression of who you are, that's when this happens. You see, when you let your money move to things that you care about, your whole life lights up. That's really what money's for. You know, a few years ago, a gentleman in our congregation gave Faith $100,000. Just, he was moved. Chuck said, here's $100,000. He gave a little direction on it, but not, a, not super explicit. He's like, look, I want this to be able to help the hungry, the homeless, the veteran. He moved his money to the things he cared about. And he said, you're better equipped at being able to answer this than I am. So what did we do, Faith Lutheran? We went on a bit of a journey, didn't we? We explored the idea of putting tiny houses on our land. We had a congregational meeting to move forward to see what that process could look like. Our congregation lit up. We were curious. We were excited. We were relevant. And COVID hit. And that journey changed. But it didn't stop. Faith continued to walk forward. And walk forward with a lot of hope. With a hope that we could be on the chain to be able to help solve the housing crisis for our unsheltered neighbors. Yeah, that vision shifted. And yes, Faith, we are doing many things to help our community. But having a sacred settlement here at Faith, it's not imminent. It might happen someday. But we learned a lot. And most importantly, we learned to share what we had learned with our neighbors. Other churches have jumped in. And they have said yes because of the path that we helped pave. A small congregation of about 20 families in St. Paul, it's called Mosaic Christian Community. They said, yeah, we can do this. And they did. And they are. And churches across the metro have sponsored houses to be able to go into this very first sacred settlement for our unsheltered neighbors. And we, by applying the gifts that we got from Chuck's gift, were able to sponsor and build a home for David, a veteran. And talking about money, Mosaic Christian Community a few years ago, they were, they were in the red. 
they weren't going to be able to do this on their own. They, they couldn't build houses. They couldn't afford to redo all of their land and, and, re, and create a community space for their church. But today, this is what that sacred settlement looks like. Gabrielle, who many of you might recognize from her visits to faith and from the news, has shown me around, and she's given me a little bit of a tour. The houses are nearly complete. The residents are moving in very soon. And how did they do it? Well, Mosaic didn't do it on their own. Gabrielle told me about entering the home of a woman who wanted to help support this. This woman lived in a modest house, but she handed Gabrielle a check. Gabrielle looked at the check, and she looked around the woman's house, and she thought, how are you able to do this? Why are you doing this? You could use this money, and you could buy yourself a beautiful new home for yourself. And here she was just giving it away because she believed in the mission. She believed in what the sacred settlement was doing. Mosaic Christian community is growing. This small church is welcoming new families that believe in the mission that God has called them to follow. Financially, they're in a place where they can start doing things along their property that they could have never imagined before. And so what does that tell me about our church? I think about how in this awkward time of post-pandemic and shifting spiritual needs, that God is stirring something up here. What's going to happen? What's God up to at Faith Lutheran? I think it's more important to say, well, God's telling us not to worry. Instead, listen. Where do we see making the biggest difference in our community? Where can faith faithfully respond in a way to our neighbors that will make the biggest difference? What might we learn from our conversations from our neighbors at National Night Out? You know, this morning, we had the gift of, and I finally put him to sleep, we had the gift of witnessing Cruz baptism. Like, what a gift it is to be able to see, and I woke him up, to see the waters of baptism wash over his head. It reminds us of the gift that we've already won, folks. And I know what you're thinking. What's the prize? How many zeros are going into my bank account? It's a lifetime of community focused on God's faithfulness. It's countless stories of grace that we can draw from in our memory banks whenever we lose our sense of worth and purpose. It's an optimistic promise of hope for our future. Remember what Gertrude wanted in that story? She believed that whatever she could share, that whatever she was going to share was going to be able to do the most good for the most folks. It's not about what we have. It's about whose we have. Everything we have is God's. And we are stewards of God's kingdom. It's a tremendous prize but a tremendous responsibility. So, you're the winners. Look at all of you. You're the winners of the jackpot. Claim it every day. Claim God's unconditional love. Know that we are worthy of it. And know, especially as winners of that jackpot, 
that we are called to share it. Amen. Thank you.